Biate C Pelletierian Shay, Mai Dish Kisni Nishli, Bilagana Bushes Chin, Kinla Chitni Nashe, Bilagana Nashinale. Welcome back to Resball. In this episode, Jam and I are gonna go through a ton of names on players in NCAA basketball who have eye popping improvements this season. Most of these are all of these are gonna be returners, I should say. That's the eye popping improvements. And we really wanted to lead this off with RJ Davis, who probably the best example of this. Let's tell you why. everybody to our draft pod this week we are going to break down some prospects with eye-opening stats and not everybody here is going to be you know like oh they have to draft them but they have to be in consideration especially as we get towards the last couple guys on this list names that haven't been out there and when you have eye-opening production to me that can't be ignored and you at least have to send like a scout or at least have to really get an idea of somebody that produces like this so Jim, before we get started, let everybody know where they can find you. Hey, everybody. Excited to be back for another episode. Got a great list of prospects to cover today. Um, you can find all my work at Draft Digest and on Twitter as well as Jam on the Boards. So real quick, there are some honorable mention guys that we're not going to talk about in detail, only because we've talked about them in detail before. And that's Dalton Connect over at Tennessee. We already like him. Definitely buying the shooting. Think he should be in like the top 20-ish range. He'll definitely first rounder. Kevin McCuller, another guy we discussed on the big board episode of like, you just can't ignore what he's done and his progression and dribble pass shoot, all those things. Again, tall point guard, go watch, go watch, go listen to the big board episode. And then David Jones, who we talked about last time from Memphis, who's having a really good season, maybe a one-year wonder but definitely scoring over 20 points per game for a very good Memphis team. If you want to hear more about that, then check out the last episode that we draft episode that we did where we looked at teams and, you know, ranked teams with questionable NBA talent. So the title of the podcast is RJ Davis and guys with eye opening improvements. And I really did. Well, there was, we'll talk about it in a minute. I named it after somebody else, but then when I thought about it more, I was like, yeah, RJ Davis is probably, the one to talk about because I mean, there's a, a time this season where Andre Davis is like dropping 30 regularly every night and he was already good. He was already thought of as like, you know, a good scoring guard past two seasons. He scored over 13 points per game at North Carolina. So I programmed last two seasons, RJ Davis has shot over 36% from three on really good volume, like 4.6 attempts or more. Got really good from the free throw line, 83% or above. So, again, the my thoughts of, you know, if you buy into the free throw percentage thing, something about shooting, he at least showed he's a good shooter. And the assists were always okay for over three game. Well, I alluded to it as we started. This season, RJ Davis, 21.3 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.3 steals. And then the shooting splits, you would think like, eh. He's just putting up buckets, but 47.2% from two-point range, 41.1% on 7.2 three-point attempts per game, and then 91.6% 
from that free throw line. All this for R.J. Davis transfers into a 58.5% true shooting percentage, which is a career high. 44.5% three-point attempt rate, which is a career high. And then the free throw attempt rate went a little bit down, 26.8%. But, I mean, again, I really had to take a step back and be like, yeah, this list needs to be named after R.J. Davis because he's the best example of these eye-popping stats this year. And a really good one of like somebody who was already good. He could have just rested on his laurels there at North Carolina. Caleb Love went away. And it seems like what he took that as is like, it's my time. It's my time. I'm going to step up. And when you see that level of improvement in the efficiency in every single statistical category, just speaks to the level of work that this young man put in. So kudos to RJ Davis. Yeah, no doubt. And I just think him and Caleb Love separating, that's worked out tremendously for both sides. Just um, they find a, find a way to make it work. Get into the national championship game, had a lot of success together despite their on-court styles not exactly being a perfect mesh and um, together, unfortunately. But like I said, they both have tremendous amount of talent and they both have had success with their respective teams, obviously with Caleb Love going to Arizona and R.J. Davis staying there at UNC, taking the bump up in efficiency. Always been a scoring guard at six feet, less than six feet, 180 pounds. I think that is the biggest concern with him is just simply the size, the size and the type of playmaker that he really is. He's going to play more off the ball, on the ball. I think he's more so an off the ball guy, um, unless the playmaking can continue to take a step forward. But the sell for him is essentially the scoring packs that he has being able to get to the pull-up game in the mid-range, uh, the different floaters that he can have. At, at the, just has a scoring mentality. Um, it's natural scoring touch with him as well, too. Uh, and he's shooting 50% on catch-and-shoot threes on that 77 attempts per game, 35% on um, guarded three-point attempts. So that's 45 attempts on those. And... Yeah, sort of says 35% of no. So he is doing a just a terrific job of being able to do stuff on and off the ball, adding that off-ball value with his ability to be able to space the floor as well. Um, but ultimately, his upside and his stock is really going to depend on the playmaking and really if his scoring and that type of role can scale down a bit. But just like I said, with the size that comes with defensive concerns and the playmaking, not someone that I envisioned envision being drafted, but certainly someone the teams would be very interested in the exhibition team contract. Yeah, and like I said at the beginning, R.J. Davis, I named after this because I think he's indicative of that too. Of like, eh, people kind of thought whatever about him, but the increase in production has put him back on draft radar and made you put him at least at like 61 to 100 to where you're like, we got to get this guy in the G League. We got to get this guy in. You laid it out six foot 160, it's just hard to overcome that. I think Bones Highland and Isaiah Joe are the only two players to me that come to mind at that size pound wise and then six foot. I don't think there's a single play, maybe Kira Lewis, and that's not exactly a glowing endorsement either. So yeah, the size stuff is going to come into play, especially on defense. I don't know how you feel about RJ as a defender. I wouldn't go to bat for him. Not that I think he's bad, but 
just the way that NBA is played. And when you run into a big guard, you run into a little big guards. When you run into even like Oklahoma City, you run into a team like San Antonio, even at the bottom of the barrel, who are playing like nothing but wings right now. That guy's a liability no matter how good he shoots. So what do you think about RJ's defense? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't have too much to add with that. I mean, just with the lack of size and strength, he's a prime candidate to get picked on in the NBA, you know, despite his best efforts and, you know, trying to do what he can to combat that. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we lack those type of physical tools. You're going to get attacked on the defensive end of the NBA. Yeah. Cam Thomas in the G League is what I would pitch him as. Like, you know, get him in there. He's got to be on your top 100 just because of the increased production. And like you laid out, the off-ball stuff should not be undersold. You can play next to a tall point guard like that. You can play in that second unit where you need somebody like that that just puts up buckets and gets you know hot in a hurry. But I think the big difference between Caleb Love and him is just that size. Caleb Love, like six four, six three, can play both on you know shooting guard and a point guard. Like that's that's an easier sell and an easier skill set. And Caleb Love's like one ninety, one ninety five, and I think that's just the big difference between. And RJ and anybody else that profiles this way that's bigger than him, it's just impossible to overcome that size. And NBA is just going to view you that way. Not going to be in the second round, sadly, but kudos to RJ Davis. And he is the pinnacle of this, you know, increased production, eye opening increased production this year. There is somebody else on North Carolina that you wanted to lay out in terms of having eye opening increased production that I'm very intrigued to hear. Yeah, absolutely. It's Harrison Ingram. I mean, He's just having a terrific year, living up to those McDonald's All-American expectations. Um, everyone's path of development is different. Development is not linear, of course. And he seems to be able to find his stride right now at UNC after two years at Stanford. He's taken a step up, most notably as a three-point shooter after shooting 31% at Stanford on three and a half attempts per game. He's up to 41% on four and a half attempts per game at UNC and is coming off just an outstanding game against Duke in his first taste of that rivalry in that home game um, with a double-double, 21 points, 13 rebounds, going 5 of 9 from 3, 8 of 12 from the field, uh, four steals in a block, you know, so he's really showing what you want to see two-way wise for him. And the sell simply for him is you're hoping that the three-point shooting is real. It may not be 41% type of real, um, which is pretty crazy for him. He's shooting 47% on unguarded threes, 41% on guarded threes. Those both are catch and shoots. And overall, as a catch and shoot player, shooting 44% on 91 three-point attempts. So. You're hoping somewhere he's in that mid to 30s. These are capable shooters to fill that three and D role. Not a huge self-creative majority of his possessions and, and bucket getting opportunities comes a spot up player and in transition as well. We'll post up from time to time using that strong frame. He's just that six foot seven, 225 pounds, just broad shoulders, long arms, just a very powerful frame that you can see. Defending wings at three and three and four, using his size and strength and length as well to be 
a solid defender. I don't envision him to be an all-world type defender. Um, certainly, I wouldn't say that he's going to be a shutdown type of guy, but I think he can be a plus for you on the defensive end. And the hope is that he continues to maintain his shooting. Um, doesn't have to down to be 41%, but continues to make that progression to being a legitimate shooter. And then I'll be remiss. I've kind of alluded to it as well, but the rebounding as well has been pretty impressive. I'm someone that really values rebounding. Like I said before, you got to end possessions and great second chance opportunities as well, too. He's at nine rebounds per game, um, just over at uh, 2.6 offense rebounds per game. So he's cleaning the glass, ending possessions, and also getting second chances uh, for his team as well. And uh, just over two stocks as well per game. So something you want to see putting those tools to use to be a defensive playmaker. What has been your thoughts on him this year? Have, have you liked the improvements you've seen? Do you think the shooting is real or where are you at with Harrison Negro? Yeah, I, I think like you do where I like the shooting improvements that I buy into. I don't buy it at like 40% like you did, but I'm like, yeah, he looks, he looks fine. The nine rebounds to me is the eye-opening production because he plays next to Armando Baycott. And I, you know, if you watch Armando Baycott, the UNC team, like, he just eats up all the rebounds. I really didn't think that Harrison Ingram would make that big of an impact on the glass with Armando Baycott being able to do that. But I mean, Baycott's 9.9 rebounds, Ingram's nine rebounds. It's a big reason why I believe UNC is as good as they are this year. They've just been able, like you said, to end possessions and pull in a ton of rebounds between the two of them. I do like the array of skills. Like last year at Stanford, he was kind of like a point forward. Um, I saw him a lot. I still liked a lot of things, but the shooting, without the shooting, being like a wing, a combo forward, you, like, you just can't make it in the NBA without shooting. So while it's nice to see the improvement here, he is shooting 56.9% from the free throw line. I, I, I guess I've never really grilled you on where your thoughts are when there's that big of a disconnect. For me, I've spent like so many times, so much time researching when a guy is a bad free throw shooter, but a good three-point shooter, like historically. Like, you have no idea how many times uh, how much time I've spent trying to find examples. The only guy I've ever found is Bruce Bowen, where it's like 50% in there at the line and like a good three-point shooter. Everybody else, they might have like up and down seasons that I, I will continue to look at this. Anybody out there, if you know, and I'm not saying that it's going to be like there for Harrison Ingram. I, I just always, that's the one thing in a profile that I'm always like, uh, I don't know how to reconcile this. And then you factor in last year where he just, Got like garbage from three. Um, again, what it, how does that factor? Fifty six point nine percent from the free throw line is not good for a non center. No, it's certainly not ideal, and I think that's the excellent research project that you undertaken, and it's very useful. Um, without kind of having um, the, the the research done with all that, and kind of trying to think back historically, it's not one that really. Pops out to me, but just in general, my philosophy on that one, there's that big of a disconnect between three-point percentage and free throw percentage. I'm always someone I'm just gonna meet in the middle. I just if it's if for especially for him, where he's shooting that, that's why the reason another reason I don't believe it, the shooting is completely real. Maybe it's someone that mid-30s could be even be low 30s. To be like a legitimate shooter, it's just very, very tough. For me to envision and really to believe you to be that bad of a free throw shooter when you're essentially shooting like a big. So it's 
it was very hard for me to, to say that he's going to be a legitimate shooter. Right now, he's more in that capable shooter range for me. What's his range? As far as three-point shooting or just draft? No, no, no. A draft range for Harrison Ingram. Like, what's his range? Because I do think he's the one so far, even though we're only two guys in, that you have to say, like, he's probably draftable, right? I would think somewhere late in that second round, especially if you believe in the shooting or at least believe it will continue to progress, not to the 41% level, um, but if you think it continues to make um, progressions toward that upper 30s or just where he's not going to be a liability out there shooting the three. He can do the other things, cutting those type of things. Um, But as far as you got to be able to shoot the ball, there's no doubt about that. So I think definitely in that late second round, personally, I would not draft him. He'll be right on that list of high exhibition 10 guys that you want to give a call to and see what can happen, you know. And I think the shooting and the workouts, obviously with the shooting and the workouts, people can shoot the lights out there. You're out there. It's just you by yourself. But I do think him continuing to shoot the ball well and workouts will bode well for teams wanting to believe more in this three-point shot. Well, yeah, I still think he's like 45 on down, maybe even like 40 on down. You laid it out 6'7", like 225. And then the way he's been able to shoot it this year, he's always been a good passer. The rebounding's gotten better. Like you said, the blocks and the steals. He can do a bunch of different things on defense. Those guys don't grow on trees. And they're not 100% the same player, but something like a Jabari Walker, like who was another late second round pick. Or it's like you just buy into the tools. Another guy that like wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire from three, but you know what? He actually improved. It was one of the reasons why I liked him. Like later on in that draft stage, was like, oh look, his three point numbers increased and got better as the year went on, and teams adjusted him. But he was still able to do it. Like that would be uh, again. They're not entirely the same player. I think actually Harrison Ingram could do a couple different things, like the passing and being able to do things on the movement a little bit more. But it's the same kind of sell. Then again, after 45 in this draft, which is really fluid, like I want to take a chance on a 6'7", 225 guy. I can't think of anybody else in, in that range where you're like, nah, we should take somebody else over Harrison Ingram. Yeah, that is an NBA-ready frame from uh, day one. Absolutely. And with him, how are you feeling about him defensively as far as how many positions he can guard and where do you think he's best as he guarding threes and fours? Can he switch out on some, some ones if he's playing the four or whatever? If he, you know, gets caught in the pick and roll and has to defend the space, can he defend some small ball fives or where are you at with his defensive versatility? Yeah, I think he's going to stick to forwards to start his career. And then I think it would really depend on the team. Like some teams might be like, oh, let's just walk him up and do this. Others might be like, no, let's slim him down and do a couple different things. I think he's a nice ball of clay that the, again, the team is really going to be dependent. If he went somewhere like the Heat, I think it, it's like more sticking to the forwards and maybe goes more in a center because they like to run zone and they like these kind of guys who like Jaime Hawk is, is kind of the similar body type, right? Where they're like, let's just stick him down low and keep that part of his game instead of trying to force him into being more perimeter oriented. So I think Brooklyn is another team that really like runs a lot of zone. They're probably somebody I would think for like a Royce O'Neal, you know, replacement or a Dorian Finney Smith type replacement where they keep him more at power forward. So 
That, that's what I would think. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think he's certainly going to be defending wing um, threes, perimeter-oriented fours, maybe some twos, but certainly looking at those wings, um, some big wings as well, too, with this size and strength, too. And then I do think he can defend some of the smaller, undersized type of fives when they do, do go to the bench, and those guys tend to get a little smaller when they could be around six, eight, six, nine, and him having the strength to defend those type of guys. So moving on to the next guy who this podcast was originally named after, and that's Deron Holmes II. Originally, I named it Deron Holmes II and the guys with eye-opening improvements because out of all the guys that will be draftable, I think he's made the most improvements. If you listen to NBA Big Board, James Barlow is like in love with Deron Holmes for good reason. I was going to lay out here. He has him 16th on his board. I do not think that is bananas. And I don't think that putting Deron Holmes even like at the end of the lottery is bananas. We're talking about six foot 10, 220 pounds. Deron Holmes has scored 20 points per game this season, holding 7.8 rebounds, dished out 2.6 assists, and 0.7 steals, 2.3 blocks per game, 59.5% from two point range. 40% from three on 2.6 attempts per game, and then 71.1% from the free throw line on 8.2 free throw attempts per game. I just got done watching Deron Holmes against the Bonnie St. Bonaventure. He fouled out two of their centers. <laughs> I think that just shows you the level of improvement that he has. And like they're trying to stop him. Every team in that A10 knows like we got to eliminate Deron Holmes. I mean, the next highest scorer on the Dayton team is Nate Santos at 11.2 points per game. Then we have Kobe Bria at 10.8 points per game. Everybody else on that team is scoring under 10.8 points per game. So it shows the level of work and the level of focus opposing defenses have under Ron Holmes. He's still putting up numbers. It does not matter. Again, fouling out two centers. The only other player I've seen do that this season was Jaden Ledee as I laid out in one of our first episodes against Washington, like to me, those kinds of performances really stick in my mind. Like you just, you can tell that guy just wants it. Like he loves choking the life out of the opposition, and especially St. Bonaventure. They're no, you know, cupcake. They're not an easy out. They've always been a consistently good team. Got in the NCAA tournament a couple of different times. I mean, Deron Holmes could have come into the year. He's another one like R.J. Davis. He could have just rested on his laurels. People already like Deron Holmes. I'm sure he already has fans in the front offices. He's already been a guy that scored 18.4 points per game as a sophomore. He was a guy that came in as a freshman and really got everybody to notice him and be like, hey, maybe he should be a draft pick. And I don't think anybody really asked for Deron Holmes, the three-point shooter, but yet he showed up this year. And he's Deron Holmes, the three-point shooter. So that's added benefit. And I believe he's on pace to have another like 60-plus block season. Block percentages have been 8.7 as a freshman, 6.5 as a sophomore, and then 7.9 here. I mean, the, the defensive rebounding percentage has been like the 20s this year as well. And he's consistently been 62% true shooting percentage or higher. I mean, you just can't say enough good about Deron Holmes and the major improvements that he's made this year. No doubt about Deron Holmes. Like, he's uh, he's looked like a potential first-round pick and an All-American this year as well. 
is a clear, translatable role to the next level, is a shot blocker, rim runner, play finisher, the vertical spacer, the lob threat. So all those things translate right away, and teams certainly want to see. Definitely can be a valuable backup center. I don't quite see him as a starting center, but I do believe in that backup role. He can be a long-time impact rotation player uh, for his ability to be a play finish, and I lay down you know, what his role would be at the next level. He's able to switch out and guards. It's not someone you, you're going to expect him to go get stops, but he can make it difficult in those pick-and-roll opportunities where he's defending in space, has good recovery length, quick twitch athleticism, so all the tools to be able to make it difficult for guards in those type of situations. And like you were saying, the biggest improvement here, and maybe there were some rumblings for it. You know, he showed some sp- some sprinkles of shooting uh, last season where he shot 31% from three on 19 attempts. And he's taking just a ridiculous leap up to 40% on some pretty legitimate volume at this point on 55 attempts. Um, total attempts, and that is also what is that per game for him? That that is uh, two point six per game. So he is you know taking multiple threes per game. And for me, I, he's not going to be someone that's going to be. I like him more in spotter situations. Three point shooter can do some pick and pop, but I think he's definitely going to be someone they can spot up and stretch the floor, be a capable shooter there. Corner threes, of course, working the dunker spots and, and those type of things as well. And then also the, the free throw attempts per game has gone up. He's at 8.2. Um, that's up from 6.9. Like you said, he's fouling guys out. He's being aggressive around the rim. And I think he's just having just an absolutely phenomenal year. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in person. I believe I have him on tap to see towards the end of the year, uh, excuse me, towards the end of this month when they come to play George Mason. I'm excited to see him in person. The one thing I think is hard for him is I cannot think of a comp. And I know some evaluators don't really buy into comps and don't mean it, but to me, I think it's always a good idea to know what role you envision them as, even if it's not, you know, 100%. It gives you an idea. And I think as a salesman, as representation, you know, four teams or even as like a scout, if you go into your GM and if you can't say like, this is what, who this guy is, or like, he's going to do something like this. I think it's really hard. And I mean, we kind of laid it out there of like, we like these things, you know, you said back up here. It, it's hard for me, like to know who is he? What does he do? Yeah. I mean, you're looking for cops. You know, you're thinking of these long, long rangy bigs, maybe some with, with some stretch capability, but the brand butter is going to be as the play finishes, the lob threat and, and shot blocker. Um, names like Rashawn Holmes come to mind. A little bit of um, Tyrus Thomas out of LSU, those type of guys come to mind, those type of roles that he will be playing on the NBA level. And I think he certainly will be a plug and play too, especially when you have penetrating guards, guys that can give him a ball. And all he has to do is just simply finish. So you certainly want to have those type of playmakers around him. They can spoon feed him a little bit. 
He's not, despite averaging 20 points a game right now, he's still not someone that's going to be this heavy shot creator, and that's okay. He's going to be that play finisher. He knows how to do that. And with the expanded offensive range on the jumper, that is a huge, huge asset for him that really raises what his ceiling could be. And again, it's not necessarily negative not to have a comp. It's just showing the uniqueness of the game. You know, like there are a lot of titillating bits in the game. There are a lot of really good parts in the profile. You just don't know how it all kind of fits together. I think some people don't really want to factor in the shooting because you don't know if that's going to be a thing. It might be a one-year wonder thing. That's why I said I don't think anybody asked for it. I don't know how many like old school dudes and front offices and coaches are still there, but there's got to be one or two of them that are like, yo, man, like, what are you doing? Stop shooting threes. Like, go be a big man. So, again, I just say all that to say there's a bunch of different things Ron Holmes could do. Fantastic ball of clay. And again, kudos to him for being able to improve such a dramatic level to get Dayton ranked and just lead that team in a bunch of different statistical, statistical categories. And be clear, far and away, the leading score there. Do you have anything to add to Deron Holmes before we move on? No, I mean, just one of the great skill improvements from a college prospect with his three-point shooting, whether it's going to be legitimate or not, but the jump that he's taken to show that there is some touch and to have that tangible improvement you know, from what he kind of showed from fresh in the sophomore year perspective to where he's at now, um, it's, it's certainly notable. I do also think there's one guy on the Staten team who does have eye-opening production, and that is Kobe Bria, who I just laid out before. Kobe Bria, 10.8 points per game, 3.8 rebounds per game, 1.1 assists, 0.5 steals, 0.3 blocks. You're like, okay, what's so eye-opening about that? Well, Kobe Bria is shooting 48% from three on 5.9 attempts per game. If you go into the advanced stats, this means that Kobe Bria is posting a 80.4 three-point attempt rate and transfers all of this fantastic shooting into a 71.1% true shooting percentage. He's the other guy on the Staten team. If you watch them, you're like, man, that guy never misses. And he does a really good job playing off of Deron Holmes and finding this space where the defense is going to double Deron and be able to do that. And I mean, it's not a small volume. Total number of attempts for Kobe Bree so far is 123. 48%. I mean, I do not remember the last time anybody shot that well on over 120 attempts in a season. And for it to be that lopsided, you know, 80.4% free throw attempt rate, that means 80%. Just a little bit over 80% of his shots are coming from three. And it transferred over 71.1% true shooting. The last person I can remember who had 70% true shooting was like a center who just basically stood there and was tall and dunked the ball. I do not remember any shooter ever posting 70% true shooting and just being on like a season long hot streak like this. Kobe Bree is six foot six, 174 pounds. So I'm sure some people are going to be like, he's too skinny. But I mean, he's a wing. He's six foot six. So that is a big feather in his cap. I mean, he's second to none this season in terms of being able to shoot like this. I just can't say enough good about Kobe Bridge's shooting abilities. Man, with Kobe, I was wrong about him. And I say that 
I thought last year would be his breakout year, and I was wrong about that. Maybe jumped the gun a little bit on, but from what I expected, hopefully, see last year I'm seeing this year. It's just been a lot more consistency from a guy that when you see that's NBA wing size, that's six foot six, um, like you were saying, is a little skinny, but does have good length, but a six foot six and the shooting, that is exactly what you're looking for. That's what plays. And he's up to 48%, like we're saying, on six, just under six attempts per game as well. 41% career shooter at Dayton on absolutely um, plenty of volume there. He's taken 438 attempts and is at 41%. That is the absolute legitimate shooter. I like him more off the ball. I think that's what his role is going to be. There's not too much juice as an on-ball creator, but for him to be able to, uh, to navigate screens, relocations, movement shooter, he has all those different type of things as a shooter in his bag. And I would like to see he's a, he's a junior now, the redshirt junior. I'm expecting him to come back next year, have a bigger role with Dayton next year and we'll see if he can take another leap but he certainly should be on the radar. yeah I agree he's definitely put himself on the radar and probably should come back that's funny you say that about him I felt the exact same way last year I was like ah this guy he's you know trying to wait out him and do anything but kudos to Kobe for sticking to it there low-key Dayton has quite a bit of NBA talent there I do also like Nate Santos and I've always been a big fan of Anthony Grant and that staff I think he's incredibly underrated coach so hopefully they'll just continue to get better next on the list is somebody that I'm going to have really difficult time talking about not because I don't like him but he does fit into this player profile of the one-year wonder and I think he's like the extreme reason the extreme example of the one-year wonder, and that's Jalen Tyson, six foot seven, two hundred and ten pound, listed at guard. He was playing for California for Cal this season in the Pac-12. Jalen Tyson, if you listen again to NBA Big Board, Leaf to Lean, maybe like a month ago, argued that this guy needs to be a first-round pick. I mean, you have that size already, six foot seven, two hundred ten pounds. Jalen Tyson this season, twenty points per game. 7.4 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.5 blocks per game. Shooting splits, 53.2% from two-point range on 10.5 attempts per game. 35.1% from three on 4.6 attempts per game. And then 78.3% from the free throw line. A 20-point-per-game score, six foot seven, 210 pounds. It's easy to make that first-round grade. And he's playing in a Power 5 conference, maybe not at the best school. Let me get your thoughts on Jalen Tyson before I come in here and talk about the one-year wonder thing that, to me, I'm always like, Ugh. With Jalen Tyson, honestly, like you were saying, it's, it's a little bit of, of the one-year wonder, but it honestly has graduated each year, although it's been at, you know three different stops, starting off at Texas, not playing much this Six minutes, you know, a little seven minutes per game, playing an eight game. Then he goes to Texas Tech the next year, plays 28.9 minutes per game, 31 games, showing a little bit of that versatility at 10 points, six rebounds, 
almost a uh, assist and a half, still and a half as well, just under two total stocks. Then he progresses again. And then he takes the biggest leap this year, you know, as we talked about, going over to the Pac-12 at California, where this it is his show. It's actually his show, and he's been able to show off his versatility, score on and off the ball as well. He's shot he's shooting the ball at 35% from three after shooting 40% last year at Texas Tech. I do believe the shooting is legitimate. There could be some worries from teams. Uh, he shoots a little bit over the right shoulder, but that's not it. For me, that kind of is what it is. It's a little bit of nitpicking. I know it doesn't always look the most aesthetically pleasing, but it's not something that this is outrageous form or, any, or anything like that. But just something to know. I don't think there should be any tinkering with his shooting at all. But with him, there is a potential, uh, what I like to call 3 and D plus role. So someone that can fit and play a 3 and D role, what he's going to defensive playmaker, I don't think he's going to be a shutdown type of guy or, you know, point of attack type of defender, but he can be a defensive playmaker with his size and length. Uh, right now, he's just under two stocks per game at 1.9. Uh, so he has the ability to fit in the 3 and D role, defensive playmaker and a shooter. And then what he's been able to show on the offensive end with the ability to pass the ball. Not anything where you're going to say, hey, you're going to be a, you know, a lead guard, lead wing, lead, you know, primary ball handler for us and kind of make decisions. But he is someone that can attack closeouts, make decisions from there, have some, has some connectivity with his passing as well, and some self-creation with pull-ups and step-backs and making get to the rim with Euros, and some footwork finish and things like that. So there's a lot to like about him. I know where you're going to go with the one-year wonder thing, but I do to think to his credit, I like I tried to lay out that there has been incremental improvement for him each year that kind of built up to this. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to do it, because I don't want like what I'm going to say to think that he's bad or to think that he shouldn't be considered in, in that first round, like six foot seven, two ten wing that does all those things you just laid out. Yeah, he's playing on a bad Cal team, but I mean, Jalen Brown played on a bad Cal team too, right? And he's around six seven, two twenty five. Not to say there's similar players. These kind of NBA players don't grow on trees. It's partially the Harrison Ingram argument I just laid out before. This is a guy that's able to self create a little bit more, able to play ball on and off ball and play defense. But, I mean, he is playing on a bad Cal team. And uh, I, I don't have a great answer for this. So, I really am going to rely on you here. Three different schools in three different years. Is that a big deal to, like, evaluators? It depends on what the circumstances. I'm not privy and I will certainly look into it so I can find out what the circumstances were him from leaving. Being uh, Texas and then Texas Tech as well. He is the Texas kid, man. Then going out to California, it was time to, just to to get away from home. I'm not sure any changes there, whether it's on staff or just certainly looking for playing time, maybe a little bit of nil playing in uh into into decision making as well too, and then maybe the fit being a little better for with California uh, as well. 
So I'm not really too concerned unless it was more of something that was something that just went uh, afoul with his time there. Was not something I've heard too much about right now. So it doesn't really concern me at this moment. Yeah, I forget the prospect. I'll look this up and we'll talk about it in a future episode. But I remember they made a big deal of him transferring to like three different high schools in his high school career. And then he transferred like a couple times in the NBA, in the NCAA. So I, I think that might factor in. Also, like to me, I'm a little biased against Jalen Tyson's production because last year I saw Devin Askew live when he was like the guy on the Cal team like Jalen Tyson is here. And I was like, oh, you know what? He actually looks pretty good. And, you know, he's, you know, doing pretty well, even though his team is terrible. It's clear like he's the best player on here. But then I like watched the numbers and I kept coming back to him and I was like, ah, it's just like, you know, the guy on the bad team. I think that kind of starts to enter my mind for Jalen Tyson. So uh, that's the other part of it, of like the good production guy on the bad team. Should it be a thing? I think you have to always put things in context. That's a part of the roles of evaluators. An important role as, as a role of evaluator when you're trying to figure out what you're watching and project that going forward as well, too. At the end of the day, like, if it is a bad team, are they still checking the boxes of things that you're looking for? Are they making good decisions? Are they doing the things you want to see with that type of usage? Can it work in a scaled-down role? Do they have a legitimate NBA skill set? Uh, and at least skill they can hang their hat on. So those type of things are you looking for within that kind of, you know, good player in a bad team where some of the some of his production can kind of seem be seen as force fed or garbagey. I don't want to go that far. You know, I don't think that's necessarily the case with him, but they can kind of be seen as the perception. It's like, all right, so someone has to score, someone has to do this on this team, you know. So you know, why not him or why not that person? But like you talk much about putting the context. Yeah, and I do want to make it perfectly clear. I think Jalen Tyson is way better than Devin Eskew, even just in terms of being the guy. Just watching that team last year and watching this team, it's clear like Jalen Tyson knows where to go. He's not just going to put up junk. He does have two other teammates who, who you know, at least score double-digit points per game, too. So it's not like he really has to do everything on his own and he's able to play off them and utilize them a little bit more. I do think Jalen Tyson is going to be an interesting case study because he has the double intersection of the one year wonder. I guess maybe the triple intersection, the the one year wonder, the good stats on a bad team guy. And then the guy that's transferred to three different destinations. I think that part is definitely like breaking new ground because in the past, normally when guys transfer out of there, they're automatically labeled an attitude problem or like that something went wrong. But in the NIL era we're living now and where the NCAA will grant transfers without needing like a you know, dire reason. I, I would always encourage kids to be like, if it doesn't work out here, like, yeah, definitely transfer. If you get there and they are selling you a completely different bag of goods than what they recruited you on, then absolutely. Like you should move on and go somewhere where they're actually going to want you and they're actually going to utilize you. 
I hope that's the case with Jalen Tyson. And again, like you said, we, we have no idea. I think it's just breaking new ground to where in the past, I think that is something that kind of gives scouts and gives people like trepidation, but it should be thought of now of like, oh, maybe it is just he kept trying it out until he found like the place that actually wanted him. And hopefully that is what it is because everything else, so the entire game he laid out six foot seven, 210 guy that 20 points per game, a three point shooter and create a little bit for his own, really super efficient with his two point shots, two ten and a half and shooting over what was it, 53%. Nothing to see that there. So we shall see what happens with Jalen Tyson and how people like take the whole profile and put it in context, as you say. Next, we have a guy that I really, really want to go to bat for a little bit more, and that's Matthew Morell. And really, I kind of want to go to bat for the Ole Miss team, who I feel like is one of the two teams in the SEC really kind of going under the radar. I, I kind of beef with Chris Beard, but you cannot knock the man's ability to coach basketball, 18-4. and four. I don't think anybody was expecting this out of this Ole Miss team. I know I definitely put them on the back burner, but Matthew Morell's been the lead guy for them. 16.8 points per game, uh, 3.4 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.8 steals per game, 0.3 blocks. To me, the biggest eye-opening production for Matthew Morell is 55.1% in the two-point arc on 6.7 attempts per game, 38.6% from three on six attempts from three per game, and then 75% from the free throw line. I remember Matthew Morell getting like love as a freshman a little bit and more as a sophomore and then like kind of fell off right I think he's one of those guys that was forgotten about because he's just had a terrible junior season I mean 49.7 percent true shooting probably tells you everything you need to know about his game but man I don't know what Wheaties he ate I don't know what trainer he's working with like he is so efficient this year 58.9 percent true shooting on this year I just laid it out like, if you look at his shot chart last year versus his shot chart this year, like, everything was blue last year and pretty much everything is red this year. It just speaks to the level of grind that this young man has put forward. And that he's a lead scorer for a really good Ole Miss team that I think his season is one of the more underrated. 36 or 38.6% on six three-point attempts per game is nothing to sneeze at. Totals on that are 132 threes. He's always been a guy that's taken a lot of threes. He's always been somebody that shoots around 75% or better from the free throw line. If nothing else, 6'4", 200 pounds. I think he's underrated defender. I think he's an underrated shooter. This is a guy that should get consideration. Maybe not in the second round, although I might argue for that. But definitely, as you say, like the exhibition 10, 61 to like 100 on that board. Like you got to put him in there just because I think he's always been talented. And now you can see he's clearly putting it all together and being the lead guy on a really good old Miss team. Yeah. You laid out essentially what it is like about Matt, Matt Murrell, Murrell, and then also his kind of up and down collegiate career for him. Uh, we'll count the freshman year. That's, you know, it kind of is what it is. But so he's sandwiched. He's trying to sandwich two good years after having a pretty rough junior year. Essentially from three, you know, that was the big step back. He shot 30% from three last year on 6.8 attempts. And he's sandwiching that in between two 
three-point shooting seasons. Uh, this year so far, 38% on six attempts per game. So figuring out what type of shooter that he really is, can we just kind of throw off the door what happened last year, considering what he's doing this year, and then as a sophomore, both are significant value as a shooter. So that's one thing that is certainly a question that still needs to be figured out with him. But he has an NBA body. He looks the part of an NBA player. Strong frame, bouncy, very good-looking stroke. You know, when he shoots the ball, you feel like it's going to go in. He looks like a legitimate shooter, and he's proven to be that um, so far this year as in a bounce-back shooting year. For me, like you mentioned as well, too, a better defender than what he gets credit for with his length and strength and good hands. Um, a defensive playmaker as well, 1.8 steals per game. I think he's going to be a bench type of guy, role player that you're looking to come in, score off the ball, be a shooter, attack, closeouts, get out and transition. You use that athleticism and be the defensive playmaker as well. Defend, defend wings. Well, I don't think he, at this point, I'm not too confident with him defending ones, but mostly twos and threes defending off the ball. Maybe there's some he can defend some ones, but most you're looking for him to defend twos and threes. Are you, I seem like you are, but I just want to be clear about it. Or do you have any type of um, hesitancies about buying into the shot after he shot 30% last year? No, I don't have any hesitancies. He took 204 total attempts. Him and Amari or Abram were like the only two guys really taking threes on that team. And I think it was a, uh, unfortunate circumstance where they were pretty much like the same guy, like trying to be forced in the same role. And then the rest of that team did not take threes, like just a terrible year. No offense to Kermit Davis, but I think that team was kind of run pretty poorly last year, especially in terms of the spacing. It was like, all right, guys, go, you know, Matt and Amari, go, go shoot threes. We're not going to help you out at all. Like just figure it out, man. So I, I really do. I don't want to hand wave it off, but I do think it was a really difficult situation that he was put in last year. And to me, his comp is like a Rodney Magruder. Like you just kind of laid it out there. Like you can see him defend wings, maybe as Rodney did uh, when he was like 32 or whatever. He somehow became a point guard because I watched him in his later stage of my Pistons be able to play point guard, but he does everything well enough, right? He defends, he shoots the three, like he's always professional six foot four. Ronnie was probably around that size too, like 6'4", 200. He just does everything you want out of your bench guard and he can do a couple different things. He's a good enough passer. He's a solid defender. And again, I buy I buy into the three-point shot just because I think that sophomore, the junior year, excuse me, that was just a really bad team and he had to take a ton of terrible shots because nobody else wanted to space the floor out a lot of times. I do believe that he's going to be Someone the teams might consider in the late second round, but it's going to be another exhibition 10 type of guy. I think it's a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about and have been talking about are going to be in that range. But I'm not too concerned about the shooting as well. I think you laid out the exact case for him not to be worried about what he is as a shooter. I think it's going to be another guy that can surprise people in workouts. And also, if he, because he is, he is a senior, correct, with no other, no COVID year, nothing like that. 
Well, I guess maybe still has. That. I think everybody that right now still has a COVID year technically, but I, I'm I'm uncertain on that. He's a senior though, four year. Yeah, so I, yeah, I think he can impress people with the combine with the athleticism, and shooting, and body. So I can definitely certainly can imagine him getting some love and a little bit of buzz there. Yeah, then real quick, his teammate was somebody I considered putting on this list, and that is my guy, Jamirian Sharp, who has a 16.2 block percentage. I mean, he's been a shot-blocking monster his entire career, but he was over at Eastern Kentucky, I believe, before this, and then came over to the SEC. I was really like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out, because him and Musa Cisse were supposed to play together. Unfortunately, Musa hasn't worked out so well, and they both kind of play the same role. I mean, Jamarian Sharp against SEC athletes is still posting that gigantic block percentage. And with dudes like Walker Kessler, even somebody lower down the card like Nick Richards, who's getting some shine in the Hornets this year. I think this is another guy to like consider or you're undrafted, your D League team. And it does profile like another like Heat or the Jazz kind of guy that they're backing up. Walker Kessler, and they've seen more interested in these big dudes like this, Jazz, that is. So just shout out to Marion Sharp really quick. Shot blocking monster. You can't ignore that kind of production anymore. Yeah, seven for five. He's certainly going to get a look as, as a shot blocker and a finisher. Um, I am concerned about how many minutes he can play at one time, but I think if he's already earmarked for a backup role anyway, kind of playing sparingly and you kind of figure out what he is, in the G League as far as um, which, how many stretches and what the stretches look like that he can play in the game. And then also just sticking with the Auburn theme, just real quick, just want to give a shout out to Alan Flanagan. After his sophomore year, he really looked like a legitimate prospect as well, kind of falling off just a little bit. And I believe was injured during that time as well, too. And then also just the three-point shoot hasn't really come around, but he is having a really solid year for Auburn in what's going to be his last go around. He's at 15.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, three assists per game, but shooting 30% from the three-point line and also 82% from the free throw line. So, you know, there is some touch there, but it just has not resulted in him becoming a consistent three-point shooter. Yeah, he's kicked around quite a bit, but I, I think Ole Miss is another team. Like, if you're looking for to fill out your G League and you're like, oh, let's start scouring some undrafted free agent guys, they're a fantastic team to go look at to find some diamonds in the rough. Moving on down the line on the SEC, though, we have another SEC guard here, and that is Alabama's Mark Sears. Mark Sears, I think he was the forgotten man there at Alabama. Everybody was all in on the Grant Nelson hype train. A lot of people would say that Rylan Griffin was going to be the breakout candidate. And then I know you were an Aaron Strata fan, if I remember correctly. And there are quite a bit here and there. I think Mark Sears is kind of forgotten about. Last year, 12.5 points per game. Only shot 34.5% from three. Playing next to Brandon Miller. So you're like, eh. I guess coming over from Ohio, the SEC is a little bit too much for him. Well, this year, Mark Sears, 20.1 points per game. 3.9 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 1.7 steals per game, 0.1 blocks, 58.4% from two-point range, and 44.7% from three-point range on 5.2. Three-point attempts per game, 85.3% from the free throw line on 5.9 attempts per game, 
we are talking about a guy that is posting a 67.32 shooting percentage, 42.5% three-point attempt rate, 48.1% free throw attempt rate, and then 23.2% assist percentage. I know Mark Sears isn't that big of a dude, but six foot one, one eighty-five. I think Alabama was kind of dead in the water without Mark Sears, if I'm being quite honest. I think he's the main reason why they've been able to stay ranked. And like I laid out with a couple guys last time, like Caleb Love and Jamal Shad, like every time you watch an Alabama game, like you gotta think that. Like, I don't know where this team would be without Mark Sears. Like he's just made a bunch of different shots. He's just been a consistent scoring threat from everywhere, getting a line, shooting the three, being able to get in and drive and do some mid-range stuff a little bit. Yet another guy that you just see the work he's put in, and especially after last year, where it looked like the SEC was a bit too much of him, transferring over from Ohio this year. Nah, he looks legit. Yeah, absolutely right with that. For him being able to come from Ohio last year, get his feet wet, still pretty productive his first year at Alabama, and then after kind of getting his feet wet, getting his taste of SEC play, and being in that conference consistently playing against future NBA players or NBA prospects with that strength, length, and athleticism that he would projectably see on the next level. He's been just absolutely phenomenal this year as a senior in his second year with Alabama and putting up the numbers um, that you mentioned as well. Just very crafty player, fearless as well. Looking, looking at showing so many of the things that he did at Ohio that really caught the attention of NBA front offices, you know, all sorts of talent evaluators, of course, college coaches as he transfers up to Alabama as well. On the smaller side, as you mentioned too, um, at six foot one, for him, it's going to be about continuing to develop and, and progress as a point guard, which I, I think, not to say that he's more of an off-guard to point guard, I think he does have many of the point guard skills, things that you're looking for as well, but it's going to be certainly more important for him as a smaller guard who's going to be expected to play a backup point guard role. Um, if it's the backup or that third guard, once again, it's the Ajili guy that teams would love to have in there to develop. Um, and we'll see if he's actually ends up being someone that goes to the portion invitational. I think with the way he's playing at, in Alabama too, he may that may not be a route for him. He may just go to the workout route, combine those type of things. Um, but he is someone that teams will be looking to get on on the margins as well. Yeah, and he's one of those guys. If I were an agent, I'd be like, we're not working out with Mark Sears. Keep my guy away from him because he just seems like a man possessed. And again, for a six foot one. 185-pound guard to post 67.3% true shooting percentage means he's excelling from everywhere and excelling in the SEC, which a lot of people, myself included, think have the best athletes in college basketball. You cannot discount that stuff. Another guy that just profiles is like the future Miami Heat undrafted region kind of dude where you're like, yep, that makes sense because of the aggression and just the ability to fill a role like, like nobody else. Next, we move over into my territory. We're inching closer to my Mountain West here. And Utah State's great Osibor, 6'8", 245 pounds. They list him at Ford. He's kind of like the center there. 
again, another guy that I think is just going completely unnoticed, as is the entire Utah State team, in my opinion. 19 points per game for great. Nine and a half rebounds, 2.8 assists, one steal, 1.3 blocks per game, 60.1% from two-point range, 37.5% from three, but he's only taken eight attempts from three. So calm down people that are like, oh, this guy can shoot the three. Eight attempts, 37.5%. And then 68% from the free throw line on 8.2 attempts per game. I mean, Utah State's what, like 17th? now something like that like they keep crawling up the rankings they're one of those teams that's sneaking up on everybody except my lobos who beat them but we'll get into that here in a minute i mean 19 and 3 utah state team and great here is leading the way incredibly unique player able to pass some one steal one block anybody with the you know stock scenes you gotta like him and i mean he just seems to live at the free throw line totals on that are 181 free throw attempts this year Still maintains 60% from two-point range and then 73.6%. Again, 73.6% free throw attempt rate. He just lives at the line. He loves contact. He knows how to get there. 63% true shooting percentage. Over 16% rebound percentage. Over 16% assist percentage. I mean, I just can't say enough good about great Osibor because he's definitely led the way for the number 17 team that Y'all are sleeping on me. Yeah, there's been a lot to like about great Osborne. And especially starting with the name, just one of the best names in all of college sports. So uh, that, that is absolutely terrific. Um, he's been taking that next step up. A transfer from Montana State. This is first year of Utah State. And being in Mount West and it's certainly produced with the near... 20 and 10 double-double just about. It's just a real load to deal with, despite being kind of, he's an undersized center, but he's what, 6'8", about 240, between 240, 245, somewhere in that range. For me, I'm trying to figure out what exactly does he do at the next level. I do believe he's going to be best as uh, as a play finisher. And uh, there's there's some connected passing with, like you mentioned, you can do some passing, which I do like as well, too. So I'm assuming and what I'm expecting his role to be just as a play finisher and a capable shot blocker. I don't believe he's this all world rim protector or like this, you know, someone's going to be a consistent shot blocker for you on the back end. Um, Nor is he this tremendous vertical spacer as well, too. So. That's what I'm really trying to figure out what this is role look like at the next level and how effective can he be there and does he have the proper tools to to really be in that role that I am projecting for him as a play finisher, rim runner. Yeah, I think this is the next year guy because he's in his junior season now, but definitely somebody to keep on the radar because over one steal, over one block as a big guy, it doesn't happen very often. Like you said, there's a lot of things to like there. But it just hasn't all come together. And I think if he slimmed down a little bit, too, I think the play finishing, I really think he could be a little bit more switchable, too, if he lost a little bit of weight and was able to be a little bit more mobile. And I think that kind of is more where his money is made. I don't think he's going to be a shooter at all, uh, but he's definitely a hustle guy. Again, that ability to get to the free throw line, I think, should not go underrated. 
and especially a big guy that's going to relish contact like that. If you can have that in your second unit, I mean, it's part of the reason why like a Montreal's Herald has stuck around or did stick around for so long is just you can't replace that. And if you can also get that guy that does block one shot and have one steal for a game that clearly like wants to get after on defense, it's an interesting skill set that you would like in a backup big that not many people have. And again, it's probably an extra guy, but number 17 team, and he's the one leading the charge. Definitely keep great Oscar on your radar. Do you, just real quick about him, do you think his stock is tied to him being able to become a shooter, at least a respectable shooter? Um, we talked about Deron Holmes earlier. And that's he has to get the 40% like Deron, but does he need to add that three-point shooting to his game? Deron didn't necessarily have to because the physical tools were more NBA-ready and more NBA-attractive. But are you okay if he never adds a three-ball? Is he still someone that can see his stock rise? Yeah, to me, it wouldn't matter if he can continue to do the defensive stuff, like I said, you know, get in better conditioning and be a consistent screen and roll guy. But six foot eight guys that are big men, I think they're quite a bit of teams that are like, oh, six foot eight, he needs to be a shooter. So there's probably teams that would just throw him out for not being a shooter, being that size. But to me, no, I think he can still do different things. You know, he's not Brandon Clark level athlete, but like something like that. And Xavier Tillman, like something like that, right? Because Xavier had that same kind of a profile like you know he could get some steals he could get some blocks he's a good passer he's able to you know eat class and be able to live at the free throw line so something along those lines i think there's still a role for guys like that for smart teams like a memphis grizzlies no doubt so now it's finally happened we finally reached the time where i get to talk about one of my lobos as i said many times before I'm Reggie from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm actually wearing my logo hoodie here. Y'all can't see it through. But I mean, yes, I'm a Michigan alum. Yes, I teach here at the University of Arizona. But cherry and silver runs through my blood. Anytime I can talk about my Lobos, it's a good day. And one guy that has had eye-topping production that should not go unnoticed is Donovan Dent. Donovan Dent came into the season with people like, eh. I think he's intriguing. I know John Rothstein talked about him in like early preseason stuff and tweeted out like, yo, you got to keep an eye on this guy. I believe it was Corey Teleber. I know it was one of the no ceilings guys who, again, was like, you should keep this guy on your radar. Last season, Donovan Dent was like 18 and a half minutes per game, like 5.6 points per game. Doesn't look like he can shoot. Like, I don't know really what his role is. Looks like he can be a pretty good defensive guy. Well, this season with Jalen House hurt to start the year, Jamal Mashburn hurt kind of on and off the court. Donovan Dent just came out like gangbusters. 15 and a half points per game this season so far. 54.3% from two-point range on 10 and a half attempts per game from two. 36% from three-point line on 1.4 attempts per game. And then 67.9% from the free throw line. Two and a half rebounds for Mr. Dent, 5.9. Assists per game and then 1.6 steals per game. One of the ones and one of the things I do want to highlight with Donovan Den in terms of eye popping production, because I know some people are going to look at that and be like, I don't know how any of that's eye popping production. Well, Mr. Den's offensive rating is 117.3 and his defensive rating is 98.3. I think the, the ratings like tell you the tale of who Donovan Dent is. 
I've compared him a little bit to Ish Smith. If you remember who Ish Smith was, like he didn't really shoot threes. He was this quicker than a hiccup guard who just attacked all the time, was one of the best assist guys you'll ever see as a backup point guard. Donovan then six foot two, 170, so he's like bigger than Ish, but still 170 was what Ish weighed. And Donovan then both years, I know he's not shooting threes. Like this is somebody whose three-point attempt rate is 14% as a freshman and then 12% this year as a sophomore. That's obvious. It's something he will have to work on. But 56.2% true shooting last year, 56.6% true shooting this year, assist rate last year, 20.8%. This year, Donovan Dent, the most eye-popping production for Mr. Dent is 31.7% assist percentage to just a 13 and a half turnover rate. This is a guy that creates shots for everybody. He's an attacker too, like he continues to get in the paint. He might not always finish. Although 10 and a half attempts per game is nothing to sneeze at, like I've said before. And then 54.3%. He's not wasting shots. Maybe he's not creating three-point looks and very low volume this year. He's only taken 30 three-point attempts. That is just not something in his bag right now. But everything else he does incredibly well. The point guards, point guard. I love Donovan Dent. He's probably going to be a long-term guy, though, like if I'm being real, four-year production, but he's definitely put himself on the radar for a team that already had a Jalen House who looked like he was going to be like this Bones Highland shot creator, really good point guard in his own right, too. Like there's no reason why somebody should have come in and take his job unless they have production like this. Jamal Mashburn, who's more of like the shooting guard for us Lobos here, but again, no slouch in his own right. Really good shooter, underrated athlete. But for Donovan Dent to come in like this, he's just a different look. Our last Lobos have still been able to run the three guards and have great success with it. Right now, you would think with losing Jalen House at the beginning of the year, my Lobos would have struggled a lot. But they're 18 and four. Coach Richard Pitino has still had them guiding the way. And, you know, Donovan Dent, JT Toppin, Nelly Jr. Joseph, there have been a lot of good guys on this team who have really led the way. And again, Shot creator, aggressive dude that Donovan Dent is just can't be undersold. Yeah, that's if listeners have not been able to check out New Mexico, definitely a fun team led by Donovan Dent. And then also JC Toppin, another long term NBA prospect as well, as, as you mentioned as well. With with Mr. Dent, man, he's really, really been fascinating. Although he is about six foot two, 170 pounds or so, he does have a pretty good frame, long arms, pretty mature upper body to be a sophomore as well, too. You see his strength at times, his strength and length come into play at the rim, too, where he does not mind getting into contact at the rim, able to finish there at the rim with both hands, using some strength and touch around it as well, too. The playmaking is that surefire skill that he really can hang his hat on and what is the most attractive to NBA teams. Um, very good processor and playmaker, especially out of the pick and roll, where he's very, very comfortable. The shooting and the size that I mentioned already, too, those are the main concerns. He's not doing too much uh, as a shooter, despite shooting 36%. There's still concerns about it because the volume is so low, 1.4, three attempts per game. And then also 67% percent 
from the line as well. So he will have to continue to develop as a shooter and being even if he's not going to be someone that does off of picking you know, pick and roll pull up threes because the ball's going to be his hand. If he can still space the floor, play alongside other players as well, too, and being able to attack that way, he has great burst, uh, very quick, as you said, as well, too. So I'm, for, I'm just hoping that the, the three-point shooting continues to come around. You can certainly see someone that can be a long-term backup NBA point guard, especially, well, mainly if the shooting does come around or at least is responsible. That's right. Go Lobos. Yeah, we'll definitely return to JT Toppin at some point. But I'm interested to see where the team will go when Jalen graduates, when MASH ends up moving on. It's interesting to see where the, my Lobos are going to end up going. So go Lobos. Definitely beat down everybody in the Mountain West. Well, now we've come to the part of the program where we're just going to load up on hyper-scoring guards, starting with John L. Davis over at Florida Atlantic. 18.9 points per game this season, 52.1% from two-point range, 49.5% from three-point range. Yes, I did not stutter 49.5% from three-point range on 4.2 attempts per game. 86.2% from the free-throw line for John L. Davis. 6.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists. 1.7 steals. If you have been living in a cave and you just came out and watched college basketball, you're probably surprised that Florida Atlantic is this good. And to hear that they went to the Final Four last year, mainly off John L. Davis, you know, Elijah Martin. But John L. Davis this year, I mean, the increase in production last year, 13.8 points per game. This year, he's just been on fire. And again, that 49.5% from three point range. I didn't think I would find anybody better than Kobe Brea's 48%, but lo and behold, this is a dude that just does not miss. And then over four attempts from three, over four attempts from the free throw line, consistently a really good free throw shooter as well. John L. Davis, 80.4% as a sophomore, 85.5% as a junior, and then 86.2% this year. I mean, I know it's going to be a little bit of a tough sell, with 6'4", 185, but man, this guy just doesn't miss. And like we laid out with Matthew Morrell, I think is another guy where he's tough. You can probably play a couple different positions, although you might want Donnell Moore at the point guard at 185. But man, he's a second to none shooter. So we have with Donnell Davis, for me, like I'll be honest, like watching their forward Atlantic run last year, it was just like, all right, um, it's great. Are these all good college players? Are there legitimate NBA prospects on this team? And so I come into this year just still a little bit doubtful, unlike most, but not necessarily about Florida Atlantic and their legitimacy of, you know, being someone that gets the Final Four and kind of living off that reputation. But just like I said, the NBA prospects on the team and John L. Davis, like he he was a good player for them last year, and he's just taking that next step to where he's become a legitimate NBA prospect. He's just been on an absolute heater all year, shooting nearly fifty percent as you laid out from three on four point two attempts per game. That's that's a big step for him. I think anyone who shoot nearly fifty percent, that's it could be a huge. But he shot 35% last year. I do believe he's a legitimate shooter. 
He has length. You hope that he can fit into that three and D type of role um, with a lot of guys we've talked about and within this role may not be the man that's looking for him to be a shutdown type of guy. Obviously, you would love that. More of a defensive playmaker with his length, just under two steals per game at 1.70. The total is that um, he's at uh, 1.9 stocks per game as well, too. So, Love him, love him as a shooter. The length that he brings, despite being six foot four, so you hope he can be in that three and D role. What do you think teams are going to think about him? Because to me, the two point six assists per game this year is his career high. I think this is the one where that's probably going to hurt him a lot, right? Yeah, it's like, what are the ancillary skills? Is it just a shooter? Um, I love the toughness and those type of things, but what else can if the shots not fall? Can he get to the basket with some consistency? Can he be a playmaker for others? Can he be a connective passer and those type of things? So I think that is certainly some of the aspects of his game that we would like to see more of and try to project going forward with the shots not falling. But he soon he has to have some strong ancillary skills. Yeah, and he will have size on the guys we're going to lay out here. But I do think Donald Davis is a harder sell than somebody like a Matthew Morrell. Do you agree with that? I would say yes. With Matt Morrell, I think he's a better athlete. Um, the body's a little better, too. I think he's a little more upside defensively, too. So going from a physical tools perspective, there's more to work with Morrell. And if you want to say they're a wash of shooters or one doesn't have you know, it's, it's not greatly favored over one. I think they're comparable shooters as well. Yeah, I guess with John L. Davis, I think of like Troy Daniels. Like that's probably the sell on him. It's just like as soon as he's going to put up threes like that, going to be able to shoot and probably more in the G League type. And the lack of playmaking, like the ancillary skills, probably keeps him in there if he doesn't develop those other things. And again, the, the the body type probably does hold him back a little bit. I'll be interested to see. John L. Davis is definitely somebody I'll keep in mind and keep an eye on in off-season workouts. Hopefully he goes to the combine. We really get to see like what his compete level is on defense if he's lined up against bigger guys. Because that could go a long way as well. In no doubt, Will. And I always love when guys go to the combine and then they run the fives they're playing you know five on five the full course is a great opportunity for people to solidify themselves open up some more eyes kind of confirm some things prove some things wrong and and then what everyone likes to do shut it down right after sounds like you got an axe to grind there <laughs> no I, I love the approach though like i mean you go you take care of business get that stock up get in and get out yeah, I don't know. I I have an accident with that. I'm always just like one game. Like, come on, man! You really think another one is going to do it? It's probably more about interviews and everything else. But that we'll return to that later. So, like I said, this is the portion where we're going to lay out a little bit more scoring guards. And I did it this way a little bit to think about John L. Davis because, again, like you're going to look at the percentages and the numbers and how well the team is doing and be like, yeah, this guy should be drafted. But I think he's going to be lumped in with somebody like. These next three guys, starting with Tommy Bruner. If you don't know who Tommy Bruner is, well, he's right now the leader in points per game and total points 
in all of NCAA basketball, Division One, playing for Denver, which is in the Summit League. Tommy Bruner is scoring 25.3 points per game, 2.7 rebounds, 4.5 assists per game, 1.2 steals, 0.1 blocks. Shooting splits for Mr. Bruner are 45.2% from two-point range, 38.4% from three, and then 82.3% from the free throw line. I mean, he's just putting up buckets, 292-point attempts, 159 three-point attempts, 198 attempts from the free throw line. As the kids say, dude is a bucket. There's really nothing else you can say uh, about Tommy Bruner, but he is also a playmaker. 28.6% assist percentage this season, and then just 13.1% turnover rate. Yes, it's an incredibly high usage, 13 or 36.9% usage. So that's obviously not going to translate, but I think these guys that are ultra productive, like you got to get a look when you're scoring that many points and still maintaining really good playmaking ability, even if you are six foot one, like 170, 175. Yeah, with with Tommy, he's a guy that I haven't seen too much of. Um, just kind of a passing, maybe like a game and a full game and like a little bit of half a game. So I'm so glad you brought him. So I definitely hear more of a perspective from him, but just kind of seemed a little bit last year. And then the tiny bit this year, it's just honestly the confidence of the score. It's just, I mean, obviously, I think with the numbers that should probably scream that he, how confident that he is as a scorer. And then earlier this year as well, too, he had a game where he put in 49 points against South Dakota State, too. And I'm very efficient from the floor, um, 15 of 34 from the field. 5 of 12 from 3 and 14 to 15 from the free throw line. He also dished out 8 assists. My main concern with him is can this scale down? He's not going to have the ridiculous usage rate that you mentioned on the NBA level. Can he find a way to be a microwave scorer at, at the NBA level? Um, and also, is the playmaking good? Maybe he's a legitimate NBA playmaker. Do you see him being able to run, pick, or Goals, make decision, process the game out of that. And then also the size is that. How- the size is going to be the obvious concern. You're going to need to finish more. I think the shooting will be fine. But the playmaking, I, I think, is is OK. And why I said John L. Davis, like start this with John L. Davis. I do think these kinds of guys like a Tommy Bruder, you'll just see like, oh, it's clear that they've been in this role for a while it's clear that they've had to not only take a ton of shots but create a ton of shots as well too like 28 points extra set uh, assist percentage that's a good assist percentage and then the, the turnover rate i always try and use turnover rate as opposed to like assist percentage to turnover rate because i think that gives a better idea too of like you know how often you're turning the ball over because sometimes you can look at the numbers i think he's averaging Tommy Brewer like 3.1 turnovers per game something like that uh, yeah, 3.4. So you think like, ah, that's too high. But then you look at the the turnover rate and you're like, no, actually, he's taking care of the ball pretty well considering the role. And again, that, that's just the thing. Anytime you have guys that can just score buckets like this, Antoine Davis comes to mind. Carson Edwards comes to mind. You got to just get them in and see like, OK, how much is this going to translate? Is this going to translate? 
Like, what can we do? And with the G League the way it is now, like, I think this is somebody to keep on your radar to bring in where you can have somebody keep an offense afloat while you help develop these other guys. They do enough to score a ton of points. They do enough as a shooter to supplement the guys you're developing there. They do enough as a playmaker to get your guys easy shots. So again, thinking of the John L. Davis where you're like, yeah, he's probably still more of this G League developmental guy. Tommy Bruner is in that, in that same regard, but it's like, yeah, even if he doesn't pan out, and even though he has a long shot, I'm not going to sit up here and say he's, you know, fantastic. I think any of these guys that score at this high level and can still play make, you got to bring him in, even if it's just to help out your G League team and be there for a long time. Um, yeah, they might not be like the highest scoring guys, but I think of somebody like my guy, Xavier Simpson from Michigan and Derek Walton, both Michigan point guards. They've just been kicking around in the G League a long time. They've gotten a cup of coffee here and there on NBA rosters because they kind of do those things. And there's more playmaking on that side of things. But somebody to consider here to help out with your G League team, Tommy Brown. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. You know, you get a guy that's a bucket getter there in the G League, potential microwave score um, at the next level. So you will have some decisions to make if it's going to be being in the G League or being able to get overseas and make a little bit of money as well. So now we move on to the guy that is having the most underrated season in college basketball. I think in a while, too, and especially if there was an award this year of the guy that's like under the radar, it would go to Vontarius Volbright. He's a guard out of Western Carolina. He's listed at six foot five, two hundred and eight pounds. Mister Woolbright is, I think, I'm pretty sure he's the only player who is leading NCAA basketball in the top ten. I should say he's in the top ten in NCAA basketball in scoring, in rebounding, and in free throw attempts. Ontario's Woolbright is scoring twenty two point four points per game. He's pulling in 12.4 rebounds per game, dishing out 5.4 assists. He has 0.6 steals. I don't think he's had a block. He's had one block this season. It says 0.0 blocks on sports reference, but he's had one block. Shooting splits for Mr. Woolbright are 49.3% from two-point range on 15.1 attempts per game, 25% from three on 1.6 three-point attempts per game. And then 71.7% from the free throw line on 8.9 attempts per game. 347 total two-point attempts, 205 total free throw attempts, 516 points, 286 total rebounds, 124 assists thus far. I mean, defensive rebounding percentage is 29.2%. Assist percentage is 31.8%. And the turnover rate's not that bad for somebody who has 34.7% usage. Mr. Woolbright, 14.1% turnover rate. I mean, he's an attacker. He's not going to shoot. That's probably going to kill his chances, I think, for being an NBA player. But when you can rebound, when you can pass, when you can generate free throws like this, again, I can't, I don't, I don't even know the last time a guard scored and rebounded like this and he is a guard it's not like you know he's a gimmick player he's the creator he's crashing the glass and he's having to score a ton of points to get to the line i've really liked watching Woolbright. like it, he stuffs the stat sheet he's on the glass and like you said 
It's not gimmicky at all. He's not like playing the five and doing <laughs> these other things. But he will rebound in and out of his area. He'll do it in traffic. He'll push it after those are grabbing ghosts. You have values there. A slasher that is his bread and butter. The shooting likely will keep him out of the league unless he can at least after being draftable. Uh, maybe you can find another path to getting there. But then we also think about maybe some kind of non-shooting guards like uh, Kadarius Richmond as well, too. I think that's someone personally I would rather have if you're going to go that route. But with Wolbright, he is a good passer, can play pick and roll, get downhill as a scorer. And the shot, it's not, despite not really shooting, it's not really broke. Broken, it's not the cleanest, don't get me wrong, but it's not exactly broken. I do think there's something to work with. Um, shooting 71% from the line this year, not a terrible free throw shooter, especially for as how much he gets to the line. And, you know, shooting nearly nine free throw attempts per game. And what I love about he's a lefty, but he's so good and so comfortable finishing at the run with the right hand and then making passes with the right hand, especially off the live dribble when you watch him a lot. It's like, all right, he, he's actually left-handed. Like, you, it's, it's hard to kind of tell by the way and the ease and comfort that he uses his right hand to fire cross-court skips and drop-offs and those type of things with finish at the rim. It also makes me think about... <laughs> Should he start shooting right-handed? Is there some comfort? Like, you know, is he one of those guys where he may be a better shooter with the opposite hand um, that he's using, especially with the comfort that he's shown there? So maybe it's too late at this time to explore, you know, <laughs> making a switch shooting-wise. But I would love to see him. We all would love to see him shoot a little bit more threes. We'll see what that looks like when he comes to workouts. Uh, I'm someone who loves going to Forces Invitational. I'll be there again in April. He's one of my top guys, my top hopefuls that I'm hoping to see at the Forces Invitational. And I think he can turn some heads with his versatility and hopefully shooting a couple more threes at that event as well, too. Yeah, I mean, he just has to hit a few. I mean, he just has to hit enough in offseason workouts. and People are going to be more interested in him. Still going to be an undrafted free agent guy, but like you said, an incredibly unique player. <laughs> That's funny about like, maybe he should shoot right-handed. I mean, at this point, why not? Right. But as you laid out the shot, I mean, Montarius Wilbright's never taken more than 44 three-point attempts across an entire season. He's never shot above 25% from three across an entire season. 61% from the free throw line, first year West Carolina. 66.2% from the free throw line his second year at West Carolina and then final season, 71.7% as he laid out. There's that, like at least it's going up. So maybe there is something to that and like breaking down the free throw percentage with every NBA team getting a G League team. This is somebody I would be like, I at least want to bring him in and see what he looks like. Because again, these kind of guys don't grow on trees that rebound like that. That attack like that, that generate free throws like that, that pass like that. There's a lot to like. And yeah, maybe the, the time of the non-shooting guard has gone, but I'd at least like to give it a shot to see what can what what this can bring. Not the same player, but I think of somebody like Derek Jones Jr., who like <laughs> when I remember him around 
was like, I don't think this guy can do anything. Like, I don't think he can do anything, but yet they found a way and he's been able to carve out quite a bit of an NBA career just off his athleticism. I do wonder if Montarius Wright could do something like that, where he could carve an NBA role out of like his hustle or maybe even like a, a G League role. Because again, incredibly unique player. I agree. I would love to see him um, as Portsmouth and just go through off-season workouts. If you haven't watched Western Carolina, please, 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 please make it a make it a priority to watch Vontarius Wolbright just go bananas all over the court. Won't be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. The last guard I am going to lay out in like the hyper scoring guards is Tyler Thomas, six foot three, one ninety five, playing over Hofstra. Right now, and to me, it's just the level of shooter that a Tyler Thomas is. Another dude that just doesn't grow on trees. 21.7 points per game for Mr. Thomas. 5.2 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.1 steal, 0.4 blocks. 47.5% from two-point range. And then 36% from three-point range. And you're like, really? Well, Tyler Thomas is taking 10.3 three-point attempts per game. And then 84.1%. From the free throw line, he he's played at Sacred Heart for three years. And then Tyler Thomas played at Hofstra these last two seasons. Overall, across both of those places, 80.9% free throw shooter. I mean, he's been high 70s, low 80s in this year, career high, 84.1% free throw shooter. So that definitely factors into it. Three-point attempt rate of 54.1%. So you think it would be super high seeing as how, again, he's taken 10.3 three-point attempts per game. He's taken 236 threes this year alone so far. The year's not even over. Like, there's dudes that haven't even taken 236 attempts from three in a career. And again, that is a different level of shooter. 227 three-point attempts last year at Hofstra for 40.5%. I, I think this is a guy that at least you bring in and be like, Let's see what he's got. I don't think the playmaking is quite that great. I think the, the tough part is 6'3", 195 shooting specialist. But in the NBA today, where there's a Gabe Vincent that came out of nowhere, based, basically just off of being a, a great three-point shooter in college and then being a great three-point shooter in the G League, who's like 6'2", 200. Like, I could see a Tyler Thomas doing something like that. And again, anytime I find somebody that shoots 10 threes per game and is still shooting average to above average from three. I at least want to bring them in and see if that's a legitimate thing, because that could be a big difference maker, as Gabe Vincent was. Even though his shooting percentages weren't fantastic with the heat, like that's what he made his money on and was able to get his shine and, and advance into being a better defender and things like that. I want to bring him in and see what he's got. Yeah, that's another guy that you've laid out uh, perfectly, you know, what his role is, and ideally get him to G League, see what you have there. Hoping it'd be a microwave score. And then just kudos for him taking a step up, um, a bit of a step up from Sacred Heart to go to Hofstra. He's had some good moments um, and also just really, honestly, good games against high-level competition as well, to play well against Duke. 18 points despite uh, not being an official from the field, but had some tough buckets in there as he normally does. So 18 points against Duke on the road and St. John's 24 points 
and also nine rebounds in that game against St. John's as well, too. So you want to see those type of things, uh, those type of performances against high-level D1 competition. Also, the 40-piece under his belt on a neutral court against High Point as well. So the scoring is legitimate. It's from pull-ups, step-backs. He just has a lot of shooting and shot-making versatility as well, and that's certainly what the selling point is for him. Playmaking still does have to come along. Um, he, although he had some stretches of, of good play as a distributor, but that's not going to be a strength in, in what he's going to eventually, what you hope to get him in the, in the league at some point. If he's going to be an impact player, it's going to be because of his shooting and scoring. It's in a six foot three. And I really like that Hosford team, Hosford team in general with Speedy Claxton leading the way there. I think they get to a tournament, they could be a sleeper to win a game or two. I uh, because of what Tyler Thomas does um, as as that microwave guard, and then also a guy that I really like, uh, I think is the best prospect on the hospital team is Darlington Dubar. I really like him, six foot eight wing, can play a three and D role, very um, active defensively with stock defensive playmaker, can rebound the basketball. Good size, strength, NBA frame. Um, so maybe uh, one of these episodes uh, will get a little more to him when we do uh, maybe a deeper dive on different prospects. But um, with Tyler Thomas, the supposed like you said, it's the shot maker, the shooting, that's going to be the job. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, you don't see very often somebody taking over 10 threes per game. 24 against uh, St. John's. He played UNLV. The UNLV game was kind of bad, so I always think it's good though to look at when guys have kind of a bad game to see what what is like they they can still do in those type of games. And I think dude, Tyler Thomas does rebound better than like what we think. Like he said, he's an okay playmaker. So there there are other things there, but yeah, definitely make his money with shooting. Speaking of shooting, my next guy is somebody who I was always out on because he could never shoot. Even though I really like his defense, and that's Emmanuel Miller, six foot seven, two hundred eight pound forward from TCU. Shout out Mavs Draft. You know Mavs Draft lives and breathes there in Dallas and is connected to, kind of connected to the TCU program. I remember him trying to sell people on Emmanuel Miller, and I, again, I like the defense. It was great, and even last year, fourth year, Emmanuel Miller, thirty nine point two percent from three, but is on one point six three-point attempts per game. So I was like, okay, 51 total attempts. Again, I was like, okay. And then he still, Emmanuel Miller shot 65.2% from the free throw line. So I was like, like I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. But this year, Emmanuel Miller, fifth-year senior. He's leading the TCU Horn Frogs. I believe they're the 25th-ranked team right now, too. Emmanuel Miller is leading the Horn Frogs in points per game at 16.4 points per game. 5.9 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 1.1 steal per game, 0.5 blocks. And then the shooting splits for Emmanuel Miller, 50.7% from two-point range, 40.4% from three on 2.4 attempts per game, and then 80.4% from the free throw line on 4.9 attempts per game. He's already at 52 three-point attempts, which is a career high. Year's not over yet, so he's going to reach his career high and make it even better. And again, 40.4%. Like we we talked with Harrison, I don't buy that, but I definitely buy 
He improved shooting. I buy it more for Emmanuel Miller because 107 free throw attempts and then 80.4% is clear. He did a lot of mechanic work and he clearly understood the, the knocks on his game and knock on being a three-point shooter because everything else is great. Everything else checks out. He's a good rebounder. He can defend. I think he could defend at a high level too. He's just always been really engaged on defense. Like that has been his calling card. I just have always bought into him on defense, but yeah, the, the shot was always just like, ugh, I, I, I can't get behind this guy who's never going to shoot. But now, yeah, I, I think he's definitely played himself into second round consideration. And the being the leader of the TCU you know, team with points per game and then being able to pass more to the 2.9 assists per game is a career high. 64 assists right now, again, it's a career high. It's clear he's really worked on other avenues of his game. Well, still being a really good defender. So I buy into him. Again, is that they're not similar players, but like the Jabari Walker type late second round kind of guy who's a wing slash forward who's shooting gets better. And you've always bought into him as a defender and a rebounder and all these other things. I want to buy into those guys because it's hard to find that player profile in the second round, especially like 45 and down. Yeah, shout out to. Mavs draft, Rich, you know, I see the vision certainly for Emmanuel Miller. And the shooting has certainly made it easier to do that. Uh, once again, he's a guy that I don't see shooting 40% being that type of level shooter, although he shot at 39% on, on a similar volume. He shot 51 attempts last year at 39%. He shot one more attempt so far this year and is at 40% on 52 attempts. So the three and D aspect is there with his NBA frame and size, the length, someone that can fit that three and D role as a floor, and then does have some ball skills to work with as well. I remember when Mike Miles went out last year, he served as de facto point guard, at least sharing that load of responsibility to help facilitate the offense and be one of the playmakers. Um, I don't expect him to be a point forward. That's not the role that I'm seeing for him, but it does just add to his versatility and the ball skills uh, and showing some of the things uh, that he could do. For me, I, this name just popped him in my mind. He's not that type of defender, but I think the hope that that you, on the, I see on the ceiling side, Jared Vanderbilt, when you think about the length, then the ball skills um, and some of the passing that he brings as well to not a pick and roll guy, um, but someone that can be connective, can do things, you know, attack closeout in transition as well. So that's maybe a name there. Uh, once again, I don't think he's the defender that Bando is or really was projected to be, but he's just a name that, that quickly popped into mind uh, for me and in similar type of role that you hope they yeah, and Emmanuel um, Miller here has probably got better shooting like profile here of being able to work on it before coming into the NBA like Vanderbilt. So that probably like evens it out where it's like Vando's not he's not the level of, of defender that Vando is, but Vando's not like the level of shooter and that ability that he had coming into the NBA. I know this is the one that people might be like really eye eye opening production, and I do think the shooting and especially the scoring and like you said, being more of a lead ball handler. If you watched Emmanuel Miller the last two seasons, 
it is eye-opening what he's able to do here. I really thought Jameer Nelson Jr. was just going to come in and do what like JV McCollin has done in Oklahoma or like what Ray G. Dennis has done in Baylor or what Eldrick Cryer has done in Houston. I thought that was going to be it, but no, it was Emmanuel Miller, this role player defender guy that has stepped up and shown all these skills and the shooting and the passing and stuff that, again, is eye-opening. Moving on to the last two guys on our list. Next is Blake Henson, another six foot seven, six foot eight ish guy. Blake Henson is six foot seven, two thirty five. He's playing at Pitt, has kicked around a lot, had some tough medical stuff at Iowa State, but has played the last two seasons at Pitt. This year for the Pitt Panthers, Blake Henson, eighteen points per game, five rebounds, zero point six assists, zero point five steals. 0.1 blocks, and you're like, yeah, that's good, but like eye-opening. Well, 47.8% from two-point range, 42.0% from three on eight attempts per game, and then 66.3% from the free throw line. The hard stop is that eight attempts from three, 42%. I know a lot of the pit love has gone to Bob Carrington, and rightfully so, but I mean, Blake Hinson's been... I think really the guy in terms of scoring in that three-point percentage has just gotten better in these two seasons that, that Blake Hinson has been there. And I think he's really gone under the radar in terms of being a, like a high major school, being the lead scorer, and then having this kind of production where in six seven two thirty five, this is somebody that can probably play like small four power forward. He's listed at guard, though, weirdly. Um, he kind of plays a guard type role. At Pitt, I don't think that's going to be his future in the NBA. But George Niang is somebody that comes to mind here. Like they kind of have similar body types. I believe I don't remember if Niang had like the medical stuff like this. And Blake Henson, I think, is like what 24, 25, somewhere there. So he's the dreaded older prospect for whatever reason. Like you and I have said before, we don't care about the age stuff. This is somebody that has a good skill set and a good body type. Um, now you need him to do shoot threes at that size and then maybe get after a little bit on defense. Again, probably somebody that's going to be more in like the undrafted free agent range, but that production the last two seasons and this season in particular, like it, it's somebody where like, let's get him in the building and see if that's legit. If he just starts firing away from three and could be again, like a George Niang. Yeah. Blake Henson, like you said, definitely deserves more credit. Um, and attention on that Pittsburgh team for sure. And we'll see what exactly, um, obviously with HIPAA laws, we'll see if anything comes out about what exactly the medical condition was. I remember it was non-COVID related, um, but we'll see if that is, he becomes too big of a medical red flag there for teams to keep him off draft boards, at least draftable in that draftable range. Or if he's going to just be someone that looked to get an X-10 contract. Can I uh, butt in on that, though? Because I think the medical, it would be weird if he got red flag because he played 1,142 minutes last year at Pitt. And he's played 717 so far this season. Like, if it's hindered him, like, I don't understand how he's been playing this amount of minutes, right? No, absolutely. I think that's, that's a great point. Whatever it was, he has played the past couple of years, and we'll see if it's still something that they have in control. So that has to be monitored throughout. That may red flag them. Um, so we'll see. And you know, every team's medical staff is different. 
um, some teams, like I'm, I know it's completely different, but Michael Porter Jr. with his back, some teams had him completely out. Some teams were okay with it and worked out with him in the Nuggets. Um, so we'll see what eventually happens with that. But he certainly can point to the games played and the production with the games played since being out with the medical condition. I think the sell is simple for him. He's a he's a big wing, not necessarily in terms of height, although six foot seven. I kind of I categorize big wings like six eight and above, especially right in that threshold. Maybe close to six six in general, honestly. So he's that six 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 seven range, but big in terms. Of his size in that 230, 235 pound range, right there, stout frame. But he's uh, as a big wing shooter. I think that's what exactly he's trying to hang his hat on. If he's not really shooting the ball from deep, he hasn't been able to find consistency in doing the other things to, to really contribute to the game. Um, but when he's on, it looks great. You saw the Duke game has <laughs> had the camera crazy. In an uproar after standing on uh, uh, the scores table after the, the big win, which is an amazing picture. And then, like, I mean, got to tip your cat to uh, tip your uh, cap to him and just <laughs> and just you know celebrate. That it was an incredible moment for him. It's a big resume game for him. Um, but uh, like we talked about, it's the size, the shooting. I wish there was a, a bit more versatility to his game. I know you brought up um, the, the Niang as a possible competition, uh, as a possible comp. I do wish he had a little bit more of Niang in him with really the pass the ball and be a little bit more versatile. That will make me feel more comfortable potentially wanting to draft him. But certainly falls in the line of many of the guys we talked about. It's a G League guy, X10 that teams will look to be trying to get in at a margin at that margin, especially if he's going to be shooting the ball the way he shot this year. Yeah. And part of why I give him the Niang comp is like Niang didn't really hit until his third season. Like Indiana gave up on him. He went to Utah. It looked like in Utah was going to give up on him because he was mainly on, you know, the G league team. He only played nine games in Utah. And then that third season is when they finally started to give him some shine. And he, I mean, <laughs> I know people made a big deal about Grant Williams start to his career in terms of being a three-point shooter. I mean, Yang shot 8.3% in those first two seasons from three. It was brutal. So I, I could see Blake Kinson like taking a little bit more time to catch on like that, but having enough people around to be like, I believe in this. But again, the, the older prospect, he's the dreaded older prospect. Like you said, the medicals, whatever the medicals were that made him miss, miss that time. At Iowa State, but another guy that to me it's like let's bring him in and see if this is legitimate. And the again the the amount of minutes he's been able to play these last two seasons to me seem to indicate it, it's not something like super debilitating. I mean, you're playing over thirty minutes per game, over thirty one minutes per game the last two seasons. But we'll see. You never know. Sometimes medical staffs are really good at kind of managing things that might end up being more longer-term issue. But, I mean, you can't discount Blake Hinson's production and shot-making ability and just being on fire from three this year. Finally. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Just real, real, quick, just real quick about him, about the, the shot-making in general. Like, just the combination of the tough shot-making, the pure shooting that he brings at the wing. Like, it, it's, it, it's, it's truly remarkable. And then at Pittsburgh, 
the volume is certainly there. He's shooting 39% on 431 attempts. That seems like a legitimate shooter to me. Absolutely. So I saved this guy for last because he is absolutely confounding to me. And that's High Points Keza Giffa. Keza comes from Paris, France. Right now. I mean, he kicked around at UTEP. He spent a um, season in junior college at Daytona, Florida State College. And then he comes over here to High Point junior season. Keza Giffa, 16.9 points per game, 2.8 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 0.5 steals per game, 0.1 blocks per game. 48.4% from two-point range, the 30, 41.9% from three-point range, and then 87.6% from the free-throw line. I'm sure you're like, okay, like those are fine stats, but none of this seems to be jumping off the page. Then you go to Mr. Keza Giffa's free-throw attempt rate, and it's 96.2%. Like he is an absolutely confounding player it almost seems like they don't do a jump ball for high point they just blow the whistle and take him straight to the free throw line every single game 66.2 percent true shooting percentage so far he's played 24 games he's only started five of them but i mean i i don't even know anybody that had like an 80 percent free throw attempt rate and this is not like a small sample size again we're 24 games in a season it's february this guy's getting a line 8.4 times per game, 87.6% from the free throw line to I'm sure the other coach is just like pulling their hair out, punching the wall. Like, why are we still fouling this guy? 202 free throw attempts so far. I know he's coming off the bench, but again, 96.2% free throw attempt rate. Uh, you would you would guess this guy's like you know big or whatever too. Six two one sixty five. He's a point guard. Does it give up maybe the most confounding guy out there in college basketball? But a fun watch and a guy that has a lot of craft. I think. Yeah, he is a guy that I haven't really been able to get to. So I'm excited that you brought him up. I've just kind of seen him in passing with having one of the games on in the background. So one thing I didn't know about just having it in, in the background, I, I do like the way he can get to the rim. And I think it's also evident about evident in his numbers as well too. And then the game yesterday, um, when they play Presbyterian, <laughs> it's crazy. He scores 26 points. 22 of those points come from the line. So I'm looking forward to really going back and diving into that game, seeing exactly what he does. So with him, I'm certainly more in kind of the, the question and information gathering stage of always for him so I can get uh, the amount of games and the eyes that I want to for him. Do so you believe he's a legitimate point guard? That's what he can do at, at the next level. Um, are you okay with the process and the playmaking? Does that need some growth there? Well, I like the attacking. I think the playmaking does need, you know, help there. I do think his touch is really going to be the thing, though. 39 of 73 at the rim and then 16 of 39 in the paint. So that's 41% in the paint, which is okay. And then 53.4% at the rim, which is not okay. I think that finishing, the rim finishing really needs to get better. I mean, just the and ones could could come there. That's probably part of the reason why he's got so many free throw attempts. He hasn't converted as much at 
of the rim, but to be able to get there that many times for a part-time player to be screams, like give this guy the ball more, make him a featured part of the offense, but he's got to work on that touch to be able to get there. But I just can't undersell that ability to get to the free throw line. It just speaks to the craft. I don't know what he did in community college. I would really love to go like follow that breadcrumb back there to see what exactly happened there. If that's the development track, or if it's the high point coaching staff year that really was able to do that. Um, but I mean, even the 41.9% from three, like that's good. 48.4% from two point range. It's not terrible. It screams like I'm still in development. And if I were a coach at, at a, like, you know, that college, I would be like, yo man, we got to get this guy to transfer here, especially if we need a guard because everything screams like he's pretty good when you give him the ball. Definitely seems like someone that coaches will be <laughs> taking a look at and like, hey, you want to come transfer up? Maybe a little more NIL money there too. So we'll we'll see if that's the route and he'll be interested in transferring up or kind of just really maintaining what he's doing. Uh, they're a high point, but he's a junior, so I guess we have one more year. I'm guessing maybe he does two years at high point considering um he was coming off the bench, but it's like he's he started the past few games as five starts under his belt. So maybe this leads to him being full-time starter next year and then able to transfer or I mean, actually transfer after this year too, but really looking to transfer after he's established himself in another year at high point. So it'll be very interesting what he ends up doing and what type of interest comes for him to transfer up and, and what type of conference that looks uh, yeah. that, that look could come from. And we also can't undersell the team success. High point is 20 and four right now, I believe. Yeah, 20 and four. They're nine and zero. They're undefeated in the big south so far. Sorry, high point. I probably just cursed you. I know uh, Duke Miles is their <laughs> leading scorer now. The other six foot two guard there. So like yes, Keswick was the second leading like scorer there. So it's not like he's you know having to do this on his own or he like he's leading the charge, but he's still a big part of what they do. And he's still a big part of the reason they have the success that they do with that ability to get to the free throw line and continue to be, you know, really efficient inside the two point arc and really efficient from the three point arc. It's just what have been one of the main things that has really helped their winning and really helped them so far. I mean, I really thought about Duke Miles, too. Because he's shooting 65.9% from the two-point arc. So speaking of a guy that doesn't waste shots, high points really been able to maximize their their guards. No doubt. And I think once you're looking at small schools like high point, that's what you want to be able to sell. You recruit even if they eventually are ones that are going to transfer out and transfer out with the situation is, but maximizing your talent and being able to have uh, that selling point as well, you know, for your recruits. And it seemed like it's certainly working out there for the guards at high point. And um, this is also the same conference uh, that we talked about, Vontarius Woolbright as well, the Southern Conference as well, too. So it is a uh, very fun conference. Drew Pember, we, we didn't talk about here, but last year was definitely having some eye-popping stats. Definitely. So it's a lot of talent uh, spread out for sure. 
the last thing you you mentioned it, Kesegefa has started these last five games. <laughs> it's a small sample size, so I, I understand. But you want to know what he's what he's been looking like in these five games where he started? Got to do something crazy the way he's getting to the line. 27.8 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 4.2 assists, and then 52.2% from two-point range on 9.2 attempts um, from the two-point range. 35.7 from three on 5.6, so the volume's going up to 88.4% from the free throw line on 13.8 attempts per game. So you would think like, oh, he's starting, like some of that's going to go down. No, it's just gotten even more out of hand. Keep Kezagif on your radar. And if you work for an NCAA team at a high major, like, yeah, you need to go kick down your head coach's door and be like, let's bring this guy in next year. My Wolverines def- definitely would need him, seeing as, sorry, Doug McDaniel, but could help to have more of an attacking guard like this. No. <laughs> yeah, they definitely um, could uh, use some more guard help to help out Doug. This quick correction did misspeak. The Big South is where High Point is. Uh, Southern Conference with Western Carolinas, they didn't match up earlier this year, so I did want to correct that for we for we end there. But nonetheless, two very good conferences with some NBA caliber talent in them. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we've educated you on a few more prospects here. Again, not everybody here we're saying is going to be draftable, but they should at least be on people's radar. And like Kezagifo is a good place to end. Because again, we're not saying like, you know, he should come out this year or anything like that. But yo, man, these guys have bonkers numbers that should be putting them in your conversations if you like draft stuff if you work for a site if you're you know somebody else is just draft obsessed like us like please definitely keep all these guys in your conversations and keep them you know on your radars before so jam you got anything else to add it's always a blast doing this i had a great time uh, looking forward to to getting back and doing this uh next week absolutely and i'm just happy to we got to talk about some lobo basketball here as well. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about that more in the future. Let everybody know where they can find you one last time and where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter slash X, however you want to use and, 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 and say whatever the, the platform is now. But you can find me at Jam on the boards and, and a lot of my work, well, all my work really is going to be on Draft Digest and, and I think maybe Thursday or Friday sometime, sometime towards the end of the week. We'll have a recap on my in-person scout of Marquette and Georgetown. So looking forward to, to recapping that and talk about some of the good things I saw there, despite a blowout victory for Marquette. But uh, there's some good takeaways on both sides. Yeah, I'm an old school basketball fan. I just really want Georgetown to come back someday. I miss those days, man. Slowly but surely. I mean, you couldn't tell after the, the 40 point. Beating, but they do have some good talent coming, especially uh, from locally in the DMV. So um, they'll get there. And Cooley seems to to be the the right coach, good spirit, and this they got to fix. But I think they'll get there. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, Georgetown was just cold. Man, AI, Ewing, for that. So I I miss those days. Yeah, and had a good run after with Chris Wright, Austin Freeman, and then uh, you know Roy Hibbert, obviously Jeff Green. So the glory days are, are trying to come come back, make a return. Hopefully, yeah, man. Hopefully, hopefully soon. So 
Yeah, thank you everybody for listening again. We'll catch you next time. Bye bye.